Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed and Alex back on the air, and we've got a lot of topics to cover. We're going to talk about college football. We're going to talk about the NFL. But before we do all of that, let's talk about soccer. Or in Europe, they call it football. So the Euro Cup 2020 is taking place right now. It's uh, the group stage has completed. And now we've got the round of 16 coming up. And uh, the teams that have advanced so far, you know, we've got Wales against Denmark. We've got Italy against Austria. We've got the Netherlands against the Czech Republic. Belgium against Portugal. That's a good one. And then we've got Croatia against Spain, France against Switzerland, England against Germany, another top game in the round of 16, and Sweden against Ukraine. Have you been watching the Euro Yeah, I have been. Uh, so, you know, where I am, it's it's kind of in the morning, and then you can kind of tape the game, and, you know, then, then I can watch it throughout the day. And then the afternoon, they got the Copa America. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting time. Obviously, it's not the World Cup. The World Cup will take place next year in the Middle East, but the Euro Cup has been exciting, and England against Germany, I mean, what a game, I mean, usually that's the game that you get in the in the quarterfinals, or the semifinals, or maybe the finals, this is a round of 16 game, Germany barely advanced, and England has been criticized a bit, even though they they captured first place in their group, but that's a huge game. Yeah, I think I think one of the problems that England has as a team is like their league is so spread out. I mean, you could go to Manchester City, you could go to Arsenal, you could go to Chelsea, you could go, you know, you could play in another country. Where I feel like the German team, I mean, they kind of all play together in their club level, and I just think they're more used to playing together. So when these big matches come up, I think England has a really tough time. Whereas a team like Germany is just, you know, you look at a heat map and they're about the same, but just Germany is just better at playing together. Well, both teams are motivated uh, because England in the World Cup lost to Belgium, took fourth place. They lost in the third place game. And then Germany, they didn't even make it out of the group stage in the World Cup, but that was... That was unusual for Germany because usually that's a team that goes really far. But the Germans have not played well this tournament. We're hoping that the best is yet to come. Again, they have so many good players. They have to start playing as a team. If they click, that's a dangerous club. But don't sleep on England because, again, they're not peaking right now. But you don't want to peak too early. You don't want to peak uh, during the group stage. You want to peak when it's playoff time, because that's what really matters. It's one game, go big or go home, as they say. But right now, the teams that are peaking, Italy, they've won all three matches in the group stage. The Netherlands have won also three games. Belgium, another team that has won three games. And I guess the favorites right now, well, everyone's favorites, that's what the experts are saying, I guess France and Belgium are supposed to be the favorites right now just based on where the ranking is and the type of players that they have. Are you buying uh, that France can win the Euro just like they won the World Cup in 2018? I mean, I, I think at this level, I mean, France is just a little bit more, you know, ready for these, you know, group stage matches, these knockout stage matches. So they're always one of those top teams. We've seen them fall short and so forth and I mean this is but this is a team that you know has won 
you know, on the world stage and has, you know, gotten to the finals. And, you know, I mean, this this would be this generation's chance for the French football team. Like I said, they, they won the World Cup in 2018. This was three years ago. It's basically the same team. They have gotten a lot wiser. They, they've gotten, they've gained a lot more experience. And France is definitely the favorite coming into this tournament. Another team that has not played as well as I guess most people would have expected. The NHL playoffs are coming to an end. We've got the Stanley Cup Finals coming up really soon. I think that's going to be next week. Tonight, we've got Game 6. It's Las Vegas Knights versus the Montreal Canadiens. You know, Canadians barely got into the playoffs, but they're riding this wave. I'm looking at their roster, and I'm saying, how is this possible? I mean, they don't have those stars that, that most teams have at this stage, but they're one game away from the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, Montreal is, has to be the biggest surprise of this this Final Four um, we get this new system this year for the NHL playoffs, and of the four teams that are left, Montreal was the weakest. You got, you know, the Islanders. You've got Tampa Bay. You know, they're playing the Golden Knights, and the Golden Knights really showed up well against the Colorado Avalanche. So you thought, you know, maybe they're a little tired, but you know, you you thought, you know, this Game Five match that Montreal wouldn't have dominated the way they did. So. Um, I give the Canadians a lot of credit. I mean, obviously, you know, in Montreal, they love their hockey, and French Canada would love to win a, a Stanley Cup. But, you know, I mean, it's just how many times have, how many times have Canadian teams fallen short? Well, Montreal has a huge history when it comes to hockey. We remember the goalie that they had in, in Patrick Waugh. They're kind of getting back to those times. They've got Carey Price, and if you have a goalie that has kind of rekindled his the way he played in his younger days, then you've got a shot. The other game, the New York Islanders versus the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to game seven. Do you give the edge to the Lightning because they're going to be at home? Yeah, I I mean, I think, think, you know, Tampa's been there. Tampa just won a, a, you know, a Stanley Cup. They've got the team. They've got players who, you know, played together. But the Islanders are just... They're pesky. Uh, they were tough on Pittsburgh. They were tough in the second round. I mean, they beat the Bruins, and I mean, the Bruins were definitely you know the favorite there. So I mean, this Islanders team is pesky, but I, Tampa has really you know dominated some games in this series. So um, I'm gonna have to give it to Tampa. The only thing is Kucherov went down in Game Six. It was in the beginning of Game Six, and. It's a huge question mark whether he's going to play in Game 7, and that's, that's a big loss for for the Lightning. We'll see what happens there. And, uh, again, he suffered an injury before the season. He didn't play in the regular season. In the playoffs, he's been the best player. If the Lightning do win, if they do advance to the finals, and Kucherov continues to play at a high level, he's most likely going to be the, the Stanley Cup MVP. You know, we've got the Tokyo Olympics coming up at the end of uh, July as well, so it's going to be a fun summer. Uh, The NHL playoffs are coming to an end. The NBA playoffs are coming to an end. Uh, Right now, they've got the the conference championships, and we talked about Euro, and the Olympics are coming up really, really soon, so we're going to see some of those events, you know, track and field and, and swimming, and let's get back to football, and let's start with college football. It's never too early to start talking about the surprise teams, the most disappointing teams uh, heading into fall camp. Obviously, it's a bit early, but we're going to give you a little bit of a preview where we stand and which teams we believe could be those darlings or could 
fall flat on their faces. So let's start with a couple of surprise teams, Ed. Who do you have there? You know, I I have to like the USC Trojans, especially because they have a path towards winning the Pac-12 championship this year. Um, You know, they have quarterback Keaton Slovis and uh, wide receiver Drake London, who are both pretty much college football stars. Maybe not elite elite, but they're, you know, they're they're up there. Then you've got Drake Jackson and Chris Steele on the defense. Um, They landed the number one recruit in the nation in Corey Foreman. 13 Trojans landed on Phil Steele's all-Pac-12 preseason list. Yeah, I just I just think the Pac-12 is there for the taking, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that their goal should be to to be that number four team and to be that fourth division uh, that gets into the playoffs. But are they a surprise team? Because last year they were in the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, they fell flat against Oregon, but still they were there. I wouldn't necessarily say that they need a bounce back season. They had a good shortened season. They didn't play that many games, but Clay Helton kind of resurrected himself. Are they really a surprise team? I see them surprising in the way that I think they're knocking on the door for the playoffs. I think Clay Helton is garbage. I I don't see him much as a head coach, to be honest with you. Last year, he got in the Pac-12 championship game. Let's see what he does with the full season when you have, you know, 12 games to play. I I'm just not a big fan. I think Helton is still going to lose his job, and you, know, you have to coach these players. You can get all the recruits in the world, but Oklahoma is getting the results. Alabama is getting the results. Ohio State is getting the results. USC hasn't been able to put it all together, string it all together, and I think it goes back to the coaching staff. You can have the individual players, but I'm just not buying them being able to be there in the top two or top three in the Pac-12. Call me cynical. Call me skeptical. You still need a good coaching staff, and I don't think Helton has done a good enough job. Who else is out there as far as a surprise? It's an interesting team in the ACC, and uh, division is kind of always up for grabs. You know, the one opposite Clemson and uh, Virginia Cavaliers. They have a very underrated quarterback in Brennan Armstrong. You know, Mendenhall has a couple guys, Keaton Thompson and Arakin Armstead, who basically he can use in an interesting way. He can make them wildcat QBs, but then he can also line them up as wide receivers. I think he can do some very interesting things with his offense. You know, Mendenhall has a track record of good defenses. I think if he just improves that secondary, uh, you know, on top of that good run defense, I think the team finishes in the top 25. Now, that's a coach I like. I've always liked Bronco Mendenhall ever since he came over to Virginia because his teams always play hard. They've got a couple of tough teams on the road. They play against at North Carolina and at Miami in September. Those are going to be two games that are kind of going to decide the fate of Virginia and the ACC. I'm behind Mendenhall. I like this pick. Uh, I hope Virginia does well in 2021. Any other teams you you got? How about Ole Miss? Uh, You know, I I think I'm a bigger believer in Lane Kiffin than you are. I like this quarterback, Matt Corral. I think he's effective as a pocket passer. Obviously, you can use him, um, you know, scrambling. You know, they're not great on the defensive side of the ball. They added a lot of recruits on the defensive side of the ball. They had six four-star recruits, and half of them are on the defensive side. Jacquez Jones did transfer to Kentucky. I think they'll be okay without him. I'm not saying Ole Miss like wins the SEC or anything like that, but I think they're competitive. Are they going to go to a bowl I game? They're a bowl game worthy team for sure. I love Lane Kiffin's offense. I do. He makes it exciting. I mean, he's a guy that can score like 40 points against Alabama, so he lights it up. But his defense gives up like 60 or 70 points a game. They did give up a couple of those. 
uh, big points uh, last year uh, to, in the SEC play. So I think Kiffin is always going to be a coach around 500, uh, but he does make that offense click. He makes it exciting. Corral can throw for seven touchdowns one game and then throw six picks in the next game. And I don't think Lane Kiffin seems phased on the sideline. He just doesn't seem to pull him. He believes in him. So I love Lane Kiffin's offensive creativity. I just don't think he is, he's a very good head coach. He was a 500 head coach at Tennessee. He failed at USC. I'm skeptical that he's going to turn it around to Ole Miss, but he makes it fun. Since you went with SEC team, you mentioned an ACC team, you mentioned a Pac-12 team, Big Ten teams were missing, and that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the Big Ten team just because Big Ten failed last year. I mean, all the teams in the Big Ten, except for Ohio State, were disappointing. And I'm going to say Penn State is going to come back to its winning ways. Last year, they were terrible. They started the season 0-5. You know, James Franklin's squad just didn't look the same before that. But Franklin has won 11 games in three seasons out of the seven that he has been there. He has turned this program around. Last year, they went 4-5. and five. But I believe they've got enough returning talent, especially at, at running back, on the offensive line. They've got a good back seven. They've got some playmakers, a wide receiver. I realize that they still have Sean Clifford, a quarterback. He hasn't turned out to be the it guy, and he's not going to be that type of prospect. But as long as he manages the game, as long as he takes care of the football, I think Penn State is going to win. 10 games next year, and they're going to get back to their winning ways. So I'm a believer in the Penn State Nittany Lions. That's my first team. Another team, I'm going to stay with the Big Ten theme. I'm going to go with Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin always has a good defense, always has a good defense, and they had a good defense last year. Always have a good offensive line. I think they found their running game late last year with the freshman running back. They've got wide receivers coming back, and Danny, Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, Jake Ferguson, a tight end. And I'm a believer that Graham Mertz is going to emerge as a sophomore. He struggled last year. I remember him having a very good game that opening weekend. Then he suffered COVID. He was out for a couple of weeks, and that's it. The team kind of fell apart. I think Mertz is coming back. He's in his second year. He's more confident. And I think Wisconsin has something cooking here. So I'm going to go with the two Big Ten teams. And, you know, we're going to try to open it up a little bit. We, we mentioned all the conferences. How about disappointing teams in 2021? I know, I know you just said Penn State, but I actually give them as one of my disappointing teams. I'm not impressed with Sean Clifford. I don't think they really have any stars on their team. Um, they have to play Ohio State and Columbus. I don't think Michigan will be that better, but I think Ohio State's going to be a really good team. You know, the, they're not, like, really in the top ten in as far as blue-chip ratio. I, I just don't think Penn State's as good as they've been. Okay, fair enough. So you think the trend will continue, and uh, I think that Penn State is going to bounce back. You obviously believe that this team is is spiraling down. Anybody else? I mean, I have to say Notre Dame, especially them being a top-four team, a playoff team. Um, they lost their whole offensive line. They lost Ian Book. Um, they have to play Wisconsin, Cincinnati, USC, and Sam Howell. They're going to have to rely on running the ball a lot more with Kerry and Williams. Jack Cohen will probably win the job, uh, you know, as a Wisconsin guy. Um, but I think he's a downgrade for me in Book. And uh, the Irish didn't land any five-star recruits in recruiting. 
I second that. I think Notre Dame is going to go down this year. They had a great year last year. They were bolstered by their offensive line and that running game, and, and Ian Book played well, and, and the defense stepped up. I don't think they have enough on the outside at wide receiver. They've got some tight ends, but they've got to rebuild almost that entire offensive line. They've got only a center coming back. Man, that's a tough loss. I realize that Notre Dame always reloads on the O-line, but it's a tough task, especially in the beginning of the season, and their schedule is not that easy. I mean, they're not going to be playing in the ECC anymore. They're going to be going non-conference plays and definitely not an easy schedule. So Brian Kelly's job, he's got to pull it together out there. Um, Anybody else that you think will fall short? I mean, I have to mention the Washington Huskies. I mean, the fact that USC is gaining ground, I think, is Washington's loss. Um, I don't think Jimmy Lake has been improving the recruiting for the Huskies. Um, Patrick O'Brien is not that good of a college QB, and he may not even win the job. Uh, Dylan Morris, the redshirt sophomore, might just be their quarterback. Uh, They have no stars on their team. I'm talking superstars. I mean, they have good players because they're who they are, but I mean they don't they don't have the stars they've had in the past, especially on the secondary. And I, I think honestly, if you if you compare them to Oregon, I think Oregon's the better team. I'm gonna go with the Aggies. Uh, Texas A&M is gonna take a step back as well. I realize that a lot of people were talking them up for the college football playoff, including you, Ed. I just think losing Kellen Mond, losing a, about three offensive linemen, that's going to be a tough task. They lost some pieces on defense as well. They have a running game coming back, but I'm just very skeptical of what they're going to have, a signal caller, a quarterback, and that's a very important part of Jimbo Fisher's offense. And I just think the Aggies, just like Notre Dame, is going to take a step back next year. Let's talk about freshmen. Uh, Everybody wants to find out who that next Trevor Lawrence is going to be, who is going to be that freshman that just takes the job opening weekend, you know, and just runs with it. So who are a couple of those guys that you think will make an impact? Well, I think this is a good year for edge rushers. Um, There's number one recruit in the country uh, who I have to mention, Corey Foreman. You know, the pandemic kind of made him realize he's kind of a homebody. It's what he's saying in the L.A. Times. Um, so he stayed local, went to USC. And the last time that the USC has landed the number one recruit in the nation was Matt Barkley. He has perfect defensive end size. Um, he's quick off the ball. And he has the technique, you know, especially for a freshman recruit. I think he makes an impact right away for the Trojans. Uh, another guy I have to talk about, some people kind of comparing him a little bit to Nick Bosa. His name is Jack Sawyer. He's a defensive end uh, from Ohio State. Uh, he's from Ohio, so he went to Ohio State. Uh, the guy's strong, um, strong enough to play inside if you need him. He has the athleticism, played multiple sports, can play multiple positions in high school. You know, I think he has good athleticism on the defensive line, you know, that defensive line athleticism. He's mostly at the weight he wants to be for the NFL, maybe put on a few pounds of muscle, and uh, he should be ready for the NFL in three years. A third guy I want to talk about, his name is Tommy Brockmeyer, offensive tackle. He actually went to Alabama, so he has bloodlines and connections to Texas. I mean, he, he would have been a Texas boy if it weren't for Nick Saban, I think. You know, he has six six height, you know, which can be worked with to make him basically that, you know, 320, you know, left tackle type. Um, he's, you know, he's a Texas kid. He has a twin brother who's a center, JC. You know, I, I think those guys are five-star recruits, and I think what they want to do is win a national championship with Nick Saban. All right, I'm going to go with the Clemson running back. I just think that Clemson running backs are always hot, and they're always giving them a chance, you know, freshmen to come in. And I'm going to go with Will Shipley. 
who might be like a Travis Etienne copy out there. He's got 4-4 speed. He's a very good athlete. He's better than advertised, and he's incredibly dynamic. You know, he can return kicks. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a very physical kid. He's coming in. He's going to be able to compete. It seems like Dabo Sweeney really, really likes him, and there's a spot open for him. I'm not saying he's going to be the, the starter there, but he's going to get a chance to compete. So I think keep an eye on that. And Donovan Edwards as well. There's a freshman running back coming to Michigan. They do have a couple of players in place, but Charbonnet transferred out. I think he transferred to UCLA. Harbaugh is kind of fighting for his job. He's going to give young players a shot. He's going to give those dynamic players that are coming in the ability to to make splash plays. And I think Donovan Edwards is going to be able to, to get in there, into the rotation, and contribute for the Wolverines. So I'm looking at the two running backs. Usually it's an easier transition to make from high school to college as far as running backs are concerned because you might not, you know, get 20, 25 carries, but you may get like 10, 15 touches and score a couple of touchdowns. We see it all the time. You know, freshman running backs contribute, and I'm looking for both of those guys to step up and do that. Let's um, switch topics. Let's turn our attention to the NFL. The first topic that we're going to cover is rookie head coaches. Rookie head coaches that are coming in, some of them are in better positions than others. I want to find out from you, Ed, who is walking in into the best position possible where this rookie head coach can make a big-time impact in 2021. Well, I have to say Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, he is a good young quarterback in Justin Herbert. He has a lot of pieces on offense, including a good receiving core and running back. Um, he has a good defensive line that just maybe needs to add an edge rusher and work on their back seven, and I think they're a Super Bowl-worthy team. So you're buying the Chargers for the playoffs this year. You know what? I think I think they could be that number seven team. They have a better team than you think. The only problem with them is that I'm not impressed with their secondary and their linebacking core. They're bringing in Brandon Staley. You know, he had the number one defense last year with the Los Angeles Rams. So you know that he knows a little bit about defense. And, uh, you know, you never know at this point. They, they drafted Asante, Asante Samuel Jr. He's going to help. Derwin James, he hasn't been healthy, but you're hoping that finally he can get on the field and show what he was able to do during his rookie season. And you know Staley is going to have a, a positive effect there. You know, obviously with Justin Herbert out there, Staley is in a much better place than most head coaches. I think, I think you know, the quarterback has, has an extra year of experience. And Justin Herbert, you know, he's been there. He's done it in the NFL. So he's more proven. They have plenty of pieces on the offensive line. So, I mean, they're, they're really a team that's on their way. I mean, they have, you know, they have Joey Bosa. Yeah, Joey Bosa. Um, you know, so they they, ha- they have some pieces on defense. I, I really just think the Chargers are like a playoff team. And I think really they hit on guys in the next two drafts or the next three drafts. And they hit on two or three starters each draft. They're a Super Bowl team. They can make a run this year. I remember Dan Marino getting into the Super Bowl in his second year as a pro, and he never went back there. So there's a possibility. I mean, Herbert has the pieces around him. He's got the wide receivers and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and they're doing some things. I just hope that they're going to hold up on the offensive line. I hope Rashawn Slater is going to work out for them like the, the Chargers hope 
when they drafted him with that 13th overall pick because they certainly believe that he's their left tackle of the future. You and I obviously have our question marks about it because we've talked about it back and forth on, on a couple of shows, but the Chargers are in a good place right now, and it all starts with the quarterback. They're definitely ahead of the game right now, and they're further along than, say, the Miami Dolphins, who chose Tua with that fifth overall pick. Uh, it's never too soon to release the rankings for the NFL, and Ed is going to walk through his top five list. Let's start with number five. Well, number five, I got the Titans. Um, they're they're going to have a great receiver duo, and AJ Brown and Julio Jones. Um, you know, it, it's going to be hard to stop them. I mean, who has who has two corners that can stop those guys? Um, so that's that's going to be a huge problem for defenses. I think Ryan Tannehill. I think Ryan Tannehill is a top ten QB in the NFL. Wow. I mean, Tannehill has certainly resurrected his career, but Vrabel has always shown that he likes to run the football and he likes to play tough defense. He likes to control the clock. Even when this team was down by 14 points in a playoff game, they were still running the ball with Derrick Henry. If you trade for Julio Jones, do you think the philosophy of this coaching staff is going to change? Do you think they're going to say, we're a pass-happy team now? We're going to pass the ball a lot more than we're running. You know that their identity is still running the football 25, 30 times a game. Julio Jones is, what, going to get like five, six targets? Well, because you still have A.J. Brown there. I don't think the Titans are going to change their philosophy, and that's probably my biggest problem there. Julio Jones looks good on paper. How is he going to look on the football field? I have my doubts about it. You know, you know what I think of, uh, you know, w- what team is coming to mind? I'm thinking of the 99 Rams, you know, when they had Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt. It was like they could they could just do everything. They could control the ball. They could throw the ball. This is the way the Titans are going to win. That's insane. I mean, just because... The Rams' philosophy was to throw the ball all over the field. And Marshall Falk was one of the best receiving backs to ever play the game of all time. He caught the ball when it wasn't even popular at that time to throw the ball to a running back. They had Torrey Holt. They had Isaac Bruce. And the stars aligned when Kurt Warner took over. He was a backup, and he took over and just threw the ball all over the yard. That's not how the Titans play. That's not what Mike Vrabel is about. And that just, I have my doubts and question marks about it. Because when you have a certain philosophy that a team plays with, it's hard to change that. It really is. And the only change that you can make is Arthur Smith is gone now. He is the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Maybe they promoted an offensive coordinator from internally. Hope Maybe he opens it up a little bit. But still, when it works with Derrick Henry... Why change something? You know Tannehill excels on those play-action passes. It's almost like the Cleveland Browns, Ed. I mean, the Cleveland Browns are a running team, and they're more effective when Baker Mayfield is doing his thing off of play-action passes. But tomorrow, Stefanski is like, ah, we're going to abandon the run. Screw Kareem Hunt. Screw, you know, Nick Chubb. I'm gonna like I'm gonna throw it all over the yard like he's not gonna do that. That's not his philosophy. That's not how he won when he was with the Vikings, when he was the offensive coordinator there. It just it is very hard for me to believe just because they added Julio Jones, who's an excellent player. This has nothing against 
Julio Jones or A.G. Brown, but it's the philosophy. The philosophy isn't going to change. They're not going to say to Tannehill, chuck the ball 50 times a game, and we're just going to give it to Derrick Henry 15 times a game. It's not going to happen, and that's why I'm not buying the Titans as the top five team. It looks good on paper, but there's no way that they're going to be the, the St. Louis Rams back in the day, you know, when they were running that show. It's just that's not who Mike Vrabel is, and he's not going to change who he is. All right, let's continue. Who is number I'm going to go with the Browns. Uh, you know, we've talked about it. They're loaded with talent. I think this is the year that Baker Mayfield breaks out. they got Jadavian Clowney, who's going to be their number two defensive end. I mean, you got Miles Garrett coming from one side. Jadavian Clowney only has to be that number two. Stop the run. This is exactly where Jadavian Clowney succeeds. They added some pieces in the secondary. John Johnson, Greg Newsom. Um, they still have the best offensive line in football. This is the most talented team in football. The question is, can Baker Mayfield get them there? Well, Brandon Bolin believes that Baker can take him there. So he's obviously on board. And you know where I stand. I've been, I've been pumping up the Cleveland Browns this offseason. And I have them a lot higher on this list. Actually, I have them as a, a number two team in my rankings. But I'm glad you put them in the top five. I'm glad that you're buying into this hype. Because I just think they, they have the head coach. The, the front office has done a great job during free agency, during the draft. People got to buy the Cleveland Browns today. All right, number three, Ed. Well, I mean, number three is definitely the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, they still have Patrick Mahomes for the next eight to ten years. I mean, they you know they have you know they may not have him under contract, but he's going to be with them. Uh, they've rebuilt their offensive line. They did a great job this offseason season rebuilding their offensive line. Um, they can still throw to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, who are both, you know, I mean, that, that's a one-two combo. You know, Travis Kelsey a little shorter and Tyreek Hill a little deeper. And then, of course, they still got Chris Jones. Um, definitely defense is their weakness. But you know what I have to say about the Kansas City Chiefs defense? They do know when and how to make key stops. I'm surprised you have them at number three. I realize that they lost the Super Bowl, but just – Based off of everything that they've done during the offseason to try to improve, they still have the best player in football and Patrick Mahomes. I'm surprised they're at number three. I have them at number one. I just think the Chiefs are a prime. They, they still have a, a talented team. Yeah, the defense is a bit of a weakness, but their offense is still freaking good. They can put up 50 points on somebody easily and none of them break a sweat. I'm more shocked that they're at number three here than having Titans at number five. All right, surprise me. I, I know where you're going to go at number one, but who do you have at number I got the Rams. I mean, they're loaded on offense. They've upgraded at the quarterback position with Matt Stafford. Aaron Donald is still in the prime of his career. Uh, Sean McVay's learned a few things after a few years. Uh, they have an excellent cornerback duo in Jalen Ramsey and Darius Williams. So to be honest with you, there's a lot to like about this Los Angeles Rams team. I think if it weren't for Tom Brady, they might be a Super Bowl team. I don't know. I'm not buying Matthew Stafford as a Super Bowl quarterback. I realized that he was in Detroit. He didn't have a good enough team there. I understand that the Detroit Lions organization has, has been disastrous through the years. He hasn't had that support system. They haven't had a good defense. They haven't been consistent enough on offense. It was only Matthew Stafford, and he got better, and he still got the job done. But when a quarterback doesn't win... How do you expect him 
to get traded to a team that has more experience in that regard as far as playoffs and, and being to the Super Bowl, it's still a tough task as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you've got to have some kind of a winning pedigree. I guess you're hoping that other players and coaching staff can elevate him and make him a Super Bowl-worthy guy, but I'm not buying it. Stafford is a good quarterback, but not a great one, and I think the Rams are going to fall flat this year. The expectations are at an all-time high, and if they don't get in the playoffs, which is a possibility in that division with the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the 49ers, that's probably the toughest division in football. If they don't get into the playoffs, forget about Super Bowl, McVay is going to lose his job because he basically said, I need Stafford. This is my boy. You know, we're taking vacations with him. You know, our families are really good friends. This could backfire really, really quickly. But I know a lot of people are buying the the Stafford and the Rams, and I'm sure a few people are going to have them in the Super Bowl. I don't think the problem in Detroit was ever Matt Stafford. I don't think it was that he was a loser. So far, I mean, he, he was part of a losing organization. As, as fair or unfair as it is, so far he hasn't been able to prove himself. He wasn't able to win playoff games. At some point, mentally, you've got to elevate your play. You know? I don't think it's you're hoping. Stafford, who's the problem in Detroit. I think that he just didn't have a good team around him. But can you imagine, like, not being a winning quarterback, not being a part of a winning organization, all of a sudden... Your new head coach talks you up. He trades for you. The expectations rise immensely. The pressure is on Stafford, not only on McVeigh. McVeigh is basically saying Stafford makes, a, makes us a Super Bowl-worthy contender. Mentally, it kind of eats up at you. I mean, Stafford can be good. He's got a strong arm. He can throw it all over the field. He didn't have the receiving, the wide receiver options like he's going to have with the Rams, you know, with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. But when the expectations rise, they have to eat at Matt Stafford because he's never had that before. He's never had those expectations. When Detroit got into the playoffs, people were happy. When they lost in the wild card round, people were happy. They still got into the playoffs. But right here, the Rams... If they don't win that division, if they don't get into the playoffs, if they don't get into the NFC Championship game, they're going to fall flat of expectations that are up there for them. It's Sometimes it's really tough to live up to that. Can he live up to it? I don't think Stafford is going to be able to. Uh, I think one of the reasons why Matt Stafford was drafted number one that year was because he, he is a tough kid. Uh, I mean, he was, you know, he was a tough kid out of Georgia. And you know this is this is the guy who's an NFL veteran. I mean, this is not this is the guy who's been playing you know professional football in stadiums on TV, you know, in front of huge crowds. I mean, this guy's been a centerpiece for 10, 12 years. I mean, it's not like it's not like he's you know he's just stepping into LA. I mean, if you can cut it in Detroit, you can cut it anywhere. I, I think when he goes to LA, he's gonna shine. McVay is a very smart coach. I think McVay is learning from his experiences. I think this L.A. Rams team is going to be a great team. I'm not buying it. Goff got him to the Super Bowl with McVay. Obviously, McVay got rid of him, didn't like him anymore. I think the Stafford experiment is going to blow up in their faces. And, like, on paper, you can say adding a star quarterback to a very good roster looks really good. 
But when this quarterback has not been part of a winning tradition, winning mentality, it's really tough to get into. You either have it or you don't. Like, I don't remember a last time that a team added a quarterback that didn't win as many games, but then went on to another team and was able to take that team to the Super Bowl. Can you think of well, a I'm quarterback reading, I'm, like read, that? I'm reading a because book about the Denver Broncos, and I'm right about the part where Peyton Manning comes from Indianapolis. Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl. That's ridiculous. That's a bad one. Because Peyton Manning was an established starter with the Colts. He won like 13 games every year. They won a Super Bowl. And then he went to the Denver Broncos because the Colts didn't believe in him anymore because he got injured. Peyton Manning is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Let's not compare Matthew Stafford with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning won with the Colts. He won a Super Bowl. And he won a lot of playoff games. And if it wasn't for Tom Brady, he probably would have won a couple of more Super Bowls. And that goes for a lot of other quarterbacks as well. Matt Stafford isn't Peyton Manning. No, but uh, Matt Stafford is a top 10 quarterback in the league. You agree with me on that, right? Top 15. You're not going to put Matt Stafford in the top 10? No, absolutely not. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't won. He's a talented kid that has thrown for a lot of yards, that has thrown for touchdowns, but they're really meaningless. Because when Detroit was down, you know, 30 to nothing, so Matthew Stafford threw a couple of touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Show me, Matthew Stafford, what you can do in that division in the fourth quarter when the game is tied. When you're 2020 against the Seattle Seahawks, you're driving down the field trying to get on field goal range. Show it to me then. Because a lot of the games in Detroit were out of hand. 90% of the time, Matthew Stafford was throwing for a lot of yards during garbage time when Detroit was already losing by like two, three touchdowns. I do not believe that Matthew Stafford is a top 10 quarterback in this league right now. And a lot of people are fooling themselves because he's got a lot of yards and he's got a lot of touchdowns. But he also has a lot of interceptions and he has a lot of sacks and he hasn't won. Matthew Stafford has a lot to prove. All right, number one team. Uh, we all know who it is. It's the Super Bowl. Yeah, champion. Tom Brady's team. Um, he's still elite. I think he still's got it at this point in his career. I know he's like 43, which blows my mind. Uh, I mean, some other things about this team that are good. Vita Vea, um, that guy ended up, you know, living up to his draft stock. Um, he really helps them at the line of scrimmage. We saw that in the Super Bowl. I really like Shaquille Barrett. Um, I think he's been a great player in his career. He was a backup of the Broncos. He's been a star when he's been a starter. You know, I like their receiving core, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Antonio Brown. Like, we're not really talking about it as much as we should, but Antonio Brown is back. I mean, he's not the same player he was with the Steelers, but, I mean, he's a good NFL receiver. I'm glad to hear you talking about A.B., without being bitter, basically said you didn't understand that move when they added him, when they signed him with the Bucks. I mean, you criticized it. I'm glad that you're hopping Yeah, I board. mean, I have to. I mean, A.B. has shown it. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what happened to him mentally. I mean, maybe Tom Brady, I mean, just kind of threw some magic fairy dust at, at Antonio Brown, but it seemed like, you know, it seemed like Antonio Brown got it together. And, I mean, we always knew with Antonio Brown, if he could get it together off the field, the sky's the limit. He's, I mean, he's still a Hall of Famer. Is he, is he not a Hall of Famer? Uh, a lot of people are going to be bitter just because of some things that he said and because he is, plays the wide receiver position. And those guys, I mean, they put up a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. And it takes a while for those wide receivers to get into the Hall of Fame. I think eventually he'll get in. 
And he was the best wide receiver in football for about five or seven years there with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But as history shows us, wide receivers take a lot of time to get in there. He is going to get in there, but I think it's going to take him maybe like 15 or 20 years because he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I mean, the Steelers have had Lynn Swan. They've had Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward is not They've at all. They've had John Stallworth. They've had, you know, Plexico Burris. They've had they've had all these great names. Who is the best Steelers receiver of all time? I would say Lynn Swan just because of what he did. I'm in the sorry, play. I'm sorry, Alex. Maybe like Lynn Swan won more Super Bowls, but Antonio Brown is a better receiver than Lynn Swan. We're comparing different eras, Ed. It's pointless. I mean, when Antonio Brown played, he was getting 100 receptions a season there easily just because he was getting like and he 150 targets from he Big Ben. He was the best in that. When the league started to become a passing league, right behind Cal. There were a lot of good wide receivers back then. There was a, again, there was a point there for about three years when Antonio Brown was the best wide receiver, but it kind of changes. I wouldn't necessarily say that he dominated a decade. All right, Calvin Johnson dominated the decade before he retired, right? There were some other dudes out there as well. Antonio Brown had like a three-year period when he was really the number one guy, like really good. Did he dominate for the entire decade? He didn't. And the reason why I give it to Lynn Swan is because he came up big in the playoffs. You know this. You've seen the catches on YouTube. You've seen the highlights. When a guy can deliver in the playoffs when it matters the most, and again, we're talking about different eras. Lynn Swan was kind of the deep threat. He didn't get that many targets because at that time the Steelers ran the football. Everybody ran the football. So it wasn't the passing attack that it is right now. I'm still going to go with Lynn Swan just because of what he has delivered and he's meant to that franchise. Then I'll go to AB at number two. I realize you're the younger generation. The younger generation likes to hype up the players that they've seen. Just because we haven't seen the Terry Bradshaw, we haven't seen the Lynn Swan. Younger generation like yourself is going to say A.B. So I don't have a problem with that, that you're saying that. But uh, I'm going to go with Lynn Swan. I represent the older generation. I'll stick up with the old guys. And uh, the Bucks still rely more on Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Those are still the, the two main weapons for them. A.B. is still the number three guy. He came up big in the playoffs. He scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl, but I wouldn't necessarily say that he had like a humongous, you know, impact on that Bucks team. I would say that defense stepped up big in the playoffs, and that's something that's going to carry the day for them. I'm surprised you didn't have the Bills in the top. I know that they are my honorable like, mention. I thought just, you were going to go. Who do they have under the Josh Allen? Like, who's the star other than Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen? Who's carrying that team? They don't need stars. They have a great defense every year for the past, like, three or four years, ever since Sean McDermott take over. They, they always have, like, they have Tredavious White at corner, who's one of the best in the game. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, they have a good offensive line, and they play like a collective unit on defense. I think when you look at the entire team, we're not talking about star players. It's a team sport. 53 players. This isn't like just one player deciding the day. Josh Allen just finished as the runner-up to Aaron Rodgers. The Bills have to be in the top five. Who's like a defensive player that you covet on the Bills? Tredavious White. Tredavious White is the top three corner in this league. The receivers respect him because he shuts everyone down. 
He's up there with like Stephon Gilmore. He's up there with Jalen Ramsey. He's a top three corner. But I mean, if you're, the, if, I mean, we're comparing them as the Titans. You roll out Julio Jones. You roll out the Titans are garbage on defense. I mean, I could care less about individual names. I mean, Tannehill is an average quarterback. Derrick Henry is one of the best running backs. Julio Jones, AJ Brown. That's it. And then you know their offensive line is is a progress right now, and their defense is garbage. The reason why the Titans weren't able to you know do anything in the playoffs is because they couldn't stop anybody. Two years ago, they played good defense. Last year, their defense disappeared. Hopefully, they bounce back. I think the Bills' D as a whole is the best. Well, I would say the Browns and the Bills. Those are the two best defenses in there. That's probably the biggest problem that I have. The Bills deserve to be in the top five based on what they've done last year, based on what they've done the, the past couple of years. This is a team on the huge rise. I mean, if this team isn't going to be in the AFC Championship game, that's going to be a disappointing season for them because they've already let everyone know that we're here to stay. And uh, I think this team is going to compete for the Super Bowl. The only thing is they have the Chiefs, they have the Browns. I, I have a question for you. For I have them. a question But the Bills you. are a much better if, if it gets to that yeah, sort ahead. of deep in the playoffs, maybe not the AFC Championship, but deep, you know, kind of that divisional round, and the Bills are playing against – the Browns, who you got? I'll take the Browns just because of I have faith that OBJ is going to come back and help that team. I think the Browns have an identity where they run the football and they use the play-action pass with Baker. They have a very good offensive line, so they can dominate in running game. Both defenses are going to be good. I will, I, Like I said, I'm pushing for the Browns and the Super Bowl. I realize that we've got the Bills, we've got the Chiefs. It's not going to be easy. Right now, as we sit here at the end of June, I have a feeling that when we do an NFL preview, I don't think it's going to change in like two months. I'm going to go with the Browns to make it to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. I haven't thought that far whether I pick them for the Super Bowl. It would be a nice, sexy pick just because those Browns fans have been suffering for so long. But I'm 99% sure that the Browns are going to be my pick to come out of the year. I'm just saying if we're competing over who's number five, you give me Ryan Tannehill, you give me Julio Jones, and you give me A.J. Brown, I'm going to take that over Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Well, you got to put Derrick Henry in there and there as well because – the Titans have a better running game. I'm just talking field. about quarterbacks. So you got to play Henry in. you got to put the running game in there as well because the biggest strength that the Titans have, and we keep coming back to this, is Derrick Henry because the Bills don't the, have The Titans are going to throw the ball. No, they're not going to throw the ball. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Why would you acquire Julio Jones? That's not who the Titans are. That's not who the Titans are. They're not going to change their identity. They have to bring in Dick Vermeil. They have to bring in Mike Marks. If they want to throw the football, I mean, they got to bring in those names, those coaches that like to, to air it out. Or you don't think a new offensive coordinator in the league Mike doesn't, doesn't tell no, them in the interview, I'm going to throw the football? No, they promoted him internally, and he took that offensive coordinator job before Julio Jones got there. Ed, it's going to be like six targets for Yeah, he said, he said I'm going to like throw the ball, and we said, who do you need? And we said, Julio Jones. A.J. Brown is going to get six targets. Julio Jones is going to get six targets. Be careful in fantasy. Do not draft those two wide receivers. If you want to dominate, take Derrick Henry. 
He's, he's I'm going to take, take A.J. Brown. I'm telling I'm you. I'm going to take A.J. Brown. The Titans are not going to be a pass-happy team. It's not going to happen. Unless Derrick Henry gets injured, and I hope that's not going to happen. If he does, then they'll change their philosophy. As long as Derrick Henry is on the football field and he's 100% healthy, they're going to run, 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 because that's what Mike Frabel does. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care, everyone.